Well, hello, everyone. I'm Alvin King, host of He Said, He Said, He Said, a look at the world from a seasoned black man's perspective. It is Friday, December the 22nd. It's our holiday show. And tonight we're talking about the Netflix original movie, Rustin. Welcome to our live show, everyone. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to our live show tonight. We are so excited about everyone being here, and I cannot tell you how excited I am for this show tonight. Our show tonight is about Rustin the movie, the Netflix original movie, ladies and gentlemen. And we have three special guests here tonight. First, we have Walter Nagel. He is the husband of Bayard Rustin. And we have cast members, Ayana Workman, and Grantham Coleman, whose exquisite performances in the Netflix original Rustin was just incredible. Uh, the movie was released on November the 17th, and it tells the story of Bayard Rustin, a critically important African-American leader in social movements for civil rights, socialism, nonviolence, and gay rights. But most notably, the vision behind the historic 1963 March on Washington with the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., ladies and gentlemen. And tonight, we're going to, before I bring my guys in, I wanna show you all a clip of the Netflix original movie with multi-nominated actor Coleman Domingo portraying Bayard Rustin. Take a look. Each of us are taught in ways both cunning and cruel that we are inadequate incomplete. And the easiest way to combat that feeling of not being enough is to find someone we consider less than. Less than because they are poorer than us, or because they are darker than us, or because they desire someone. Our churches and our laws say they should not desire. When we tell ourselves such lies, start to live and believe such lies, we do the work of our oppressors by oppressing ourselves. Strong feminine Hoover don't give a shit about me. What they really want to destroy is all of us coming together and demanding this country change. Are they expecting my resignation? Some are, yes. Then they're going to have to fire me because I will not resign. On the day that I was born black, I was also born a homosexual. They either believe in freedom and justice for all, or they do not. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my co-host to the stage, Bosh Bodie, Bobby Edwards. Well, hello, 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 fellas. What? Happy I Christmas. It's year two. First of all, I'm not even going to talk about how crazy you look right now. I'm going to say. <laughs> I think he looks festive. He looks very <laughs> elf-like to me. Happy holidays to all of you. How are you guys doing tonight? Happy doing holidays. All right. The countdown so excited about this show. I can't wait. I well, you know, first of all, I just as as you saw, I just played a clip from the movie Rustin with the incredible yes. Coleman Domingo, who I mean nailed it, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said, he is not he is a multi-nominated actor for, for this movie. And so I'm just excited that we have the cast here tonight. And I know all, both of you have seen the movie already. I, I know you I know you have. So, multiple, times. Um, <laughs> multiple times. And so, you know, I, I, I really didn't, didn't want to get into too much with you about, about the movie, but, I, you know, I did, you know, want to 
say that, you know, our show tonight, we not only have the, you know, the uh, cast members, some of the cast members here, but we also, we, we're going to take a, have a more personal conversation with uh, Walter Nagel, who is uh, Bayard's husband. And uh, I'm just excited about, about that, you know, so. It, I think it's an incredible moment for us as a as co-host of the show. Um, the fact that we are working with the support of you know uh, entertainment uh, powerhouse Netflix and being able to support this it's uh, I, I'm it's just a really wonderful as you've said a couple of times backstage it's a wonderful Christmas present for us. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually it's monumental, right? For a show with three black gay men talking about the black gay man that helped to shift Absolutely. the trajectory of equality on the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, what a proud moment. It's yep. just so amazing, so amazing. Well, I'm, I feel like we're actually standing on the shoulders of, of Baya, you know, if you will. And so I, that, that is definitely one of my main takeaways from the movie. So um, and again, we, uh, yes, yes. And can we say hello to our, our visitors that, that have come in here, Monica, Sharon, uh, Michelle, and oh, that's Sharon twice. How you doing, Sharon? <laughs> I, I I know you all are out there for all, all of you who we, we can't see. Thank you all for, for joining us tonight um, because you all have been hitting our stream. And so we know that you're on here. So thank you for joining us tonight. Well, if you all are ready, I, I am so ready to get on with the um, conversation. The jam show, yeah. And introduce our, our first guest. If, if you all are ready, I'm, I'm ready to go for it. Bring them on. <laughs> okay, you ready? All right, ladies and gentlemen. Look, our first guest, Ayana Workman, uh, has, a, has appeared in television and film, having guest roles in shows like Marvel's Jessica Jones, Person of Interest, and currently seen in Netflix, Rustin opposite Coleman Domingo, playing the role of activist Eleanor Holmes, who is now Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton from the District of Columbia to the U.S. House of Representatives. The film is directed by George C. Wolfe and produced by the Obama's Higher Ground Productions. Before we bring her on, let's take a look at the actress in action. We are going to put together the largest peaceful protest in the history of this nation. How big? 100,000 people. Is he for real? A massive two-day demonstration with enough power to shut down the White House and Capitol Hill, made up of angelic troublemakers such as yourselves, with ideas so bold, so inspiring, the execution will demand all groups draw tightly together and become one. So, talk, shout, take command. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the He Said, He Said stage, Ayana Workman. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it, uh, again, it is a, a early Christmas for all of us tonight. I, I have to it admit. So, it is. It is. We know it's limited. So, you know, we're going to jump into our question because we have a lot that we want to ask you. I'm ready. Okay. I'm, I'm first up. Uh, Ayana, again, welcome to the He Said, He Said, He Said stage and congratulations on your role. In Rustin, uh, you are playing someone that is near and dear to my heart. I'm a Washingtonian, so I know Eleanor Holmes Norton. I've oh. had the opportunity. Alvin is also a Washingtonian. We've had the pleasure of being in her company. Um, and so I would love for you to share with us uh, what you learned about her role actually in the March on Washington. I mean, so as you all know, I mean, I don't know if everyone like watching this knows, but Eleanor Holmes Norton is one of the most incredible women I think to exist. She's a hero of mine. Um, at the time, she was a young law student. Um, so she was just working boots on the ground. She was also a member of SNCC. And uh, during the summer of 1963, she was actually in Mississippi helping get Fannie Lou Hamer out of jail and wow. also touring around Europe. So she was really, really working to make a difference. And one day she gets a call from Bayard Rustin himself. And he calls her up and he says, hey, I have this crazy idea. I am going to create this March on Washington in eight weeks. Do you want to come join me? Eleanor got on a flight up to Harlem, said, let's go. 
And then she got into the offices and she was with a bunch of angelic troublemakers, as they call it in the film. Like that. A bunch of very, very young, you know, 20 year olds um, fighting to create this thing happen. So this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for uh, them. Well, anyone who knows her would know, would believe that that is totally Eleanor Holmes Norton, that she would jump right on that plane. I mean, I got a chance to meet her as well, actually. And uh, she, her tenacity, her spirit, her like, her intelligence and her, her fight and drive is like, is the reason why she is the person she is today, but also the reason why like the march happened, because there was just a bunch of minds like that, you know, yeah. coming together right. to create yeah. this thing. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. So as an actor myself, I love to play new roles because I don't like to have anyone be able to compare me to anything else. <laughs> as an actor, what is what is it he like? He says with his green hat on. Right. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, forge your own trail. What is, it, what is it like to play someone who not only was real, but is still alive? Yeah, um, I am actually the opposite of you. Uh, my whole life, I've wanted to play a real life person. Uh, ever since I was very young, I think I had like some things that I wanted to tick off in like my career, like what I wanted to do. And uh, there are still some people I want to play, but I've always wanted to play someone who was alive where I could, you know, have material of things that they, I could watch from them or books that they've written and um, kind of give honor to a person that has existed and tell a story that has actually happened because there's so many stories in this world that need to be heard and need to be told. Um, so I was really excited to do it. Like I, oh, it was a dream of mine, but I'm not gonna lie and say it wasn't incredibly scary because I also like, there's a pressure, right? Like you want Eleanor to, to see this and to, you know, feel honored and feel like I did her justice. So I definitely was nervous, but I think honestly the process with George C. Wolf and getting in the room and we were all playing real life people. Um, he very much took the pressure off of like, this isn't a caricature. This isn't like, we're not trying to like copy these people. We're trying to do the research, honor who they were, but also make it your own. Mm -hmm. um, and that freedom that he gave us the first week we had rehearsal kind of allowed me to take the pressure off a little bit. And then I did end up meeting her, but I didn't meet her till after, which was also kind of nice because I wasn't like having that, you know, like pressure in the beginning. I just met her after and she saw it and she was very complimentary of my performance. So that meant a lot. Nice. I haven't met her, but I got to believe that <laughs> your betrayal was way cute. And she was like, I look that good. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to lie. She just, I just saw her maybe about six weeks ago because of the work that she's doing in my community. Uh -huh. We just, uh, I work in, I live in Washington, DC. So at Walter Reed, we're yep. opening a whole bunch of uh, housing projects. And so she's pretty much spearheading that. So she is very much on the ground doing what Active. you portrayed her as in, 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 in your role as uh, Eleanor Holmes. She yeah. spoke at my church just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. So this this question, you uh, you kind of answered it, but I still want to ask this question. Did you know of Eleanor Holmes Norton before you took on the role? I have heard of her name. Mm -hmm. um, the same way I knew of Bayard of the name. Um, my father is a bit older. He's He's 87 now, so he was around... A, a lot of what was going on at the time and even before and his family, the workmen's, um, my namesake were incredibly like politically active. Um, so it was definitely a part of the conversation, but I didn't know everything I know about her now. Right. Um, so once I got, once I got the script, when I did the original, the, 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 the original audition, um, I started Googling her and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is incredible. And then once I got the role, I bought her book. I started like researching everything and then I got to know more about her. Mm -hmm. So, well, okay, thank you. Well, tell me, being that you've done this role, why is it so important um, that, that people, for people to know the story of uh, Bayard Rustin? I, okay, so, Obviously, what happened back then um, was incredibly uh, vital and incredibly, you know, life changing for all of us in terms of this march in Washington, like changed the changed the course of history. Um, but unfortunately, uh, there's still so much work to be done. 
in mm. uh, this country and in this world. And I think that this story directly reflects what's going on still to this day. There's still a civil rights movement going on. There's still so much injustice, injustices with black people, with women, with LGBTQIA community, with trans people, with everything, um, with all those kinds of communities, there's still so much change to be done. So if somebody sees this movie and first of all is inspired by Bayard and inspired by what he's done, and if a young LGBTQIA person sees him and says, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. That is everything, like that's enough. But also just to remind us that there's still so much work to be done. Um, I think it's incredibly relevant and also educational. A lot of people don't know who Bayard was. He was marginalized in the history books because he was openly gay. And so um, I think it's just an incredibly important movie to be happening right now. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And there's such an incredible, I mean, from the beginning of the film, yeah. what's so incredible about it is you see that there was more unity in racial uh, communities coming together for equality. And that's really important, I think, for people to see in the movie as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, when we have guests on the show, obviously we want to focus on their projects and things that they're working on, but we also kind of like to get to know you a little. Um, and through some homework, we found out that a while ago, you had an impromptu performance with tap dance great Sevian Glover, uh -huh. overall entertainer. Uh, fortunately, fortunately for you, we do not have that clip. Fortunately, yeah. <laughs> can you we imagine? Would, well, I, we can, uh, <laughs> but we would like to kind of get from you what what do you remember most about that opportunity? You were pretty young, and obviously I mean, you, weren't, you weren't accredited at that point. So <laughs> I was like three years old. I was I was like I was super young, so I don't remember much other than what people told me. I just know that I was in the audience apparently, and I had my tap shoes with me. I don't know why. <laughs> I have no idea how if they you stay ready. Me. You don't have to get ready. Is that what they say? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I somehow had them, and my mom had them or something. And then he was performing with my father, I believe. And then uh, somehow I was kind of, you know, asked to come on stage. And then three-year-old Diana was just tip-tapping with Savion. Um, and I wish I remembered more of that, but it's like a core non-memory memory that I that I had. It's great. And you mentioned the fact that he was performing with your dad. So that leads me to uh, my next question uh, for you. Your parents, your legendary jazz bassist, Reggie Workman, uh, veteran of the John Coltrane Quartet. That says everything right there. Um, <laughs> and your mom, Maya Milinovich Workman, an internationally renowned dancer and choreographer. You have very your your DNA is good. Set good stuff. Some good stuff. Set you up. Okay. Talk to us about how having parents of that kind of talent lineage and DNA, and and in different areas, impacted your career as an actor. I mean, how did it not? Like, you you mentioned their names, and I just get so happy. Um, they they influenced everything about me being an artist. Um, my father and my mother kind of created this very. Uh, rich artistic like life that I was just born into and yes. like part of and I grew up watching my dad perform um and going to visit him at the new school he's a professor there he still is to this day um and he was then and I was around like young students I was around him being an educator my mom also has her own dance school and had it she made it when I was three years old. <laughs> um, so Which is why you had those tap shoes on. So. <laughs> I was ready. And so, and so I, they kind of just gifted me everything. I played music. I danced. I um, tapped. I acted. And it kind of, I always say, like, they just gave me everything. And it was just my, you know decision on what I wanted to do. Sometimes my mom used to joke, like, why weren't you a lawyer? I was like, I'm like, I didn't have a choice. Like, you guys just. I was like, <laughs> I said, why weren't you? Yes. All this entertainment in the house? Why would I want to go into a courtroom? I grew up in, yeah. Exactly. Um, but no, they, they formed everything. And also, they, like, we, we had uh, an incredible home where we had so many different, like, musicians and political activists, like Amiri Baraka would come to our house. Like, we just had, like, an amazing, I just was exposed to a lot of, really important people and things. And I was always taught that like, um, 
art and life is about like making a difference truly. Yeah. And like, I cool. felt like I just don't want to like sit around and, and watch uh, yeah. like the, the, the crap that happens in this world. Like I want to do something to, to make a difference. So that's kind of what I was taught. And it's still something that like is a part of who I am. Well, tell your dad that you got to speak with someone who's a big, big fan of John Coltrane in the court. So I'm. I will. I will. <laughs> well, I'm actually friends with Michelle Coltrane, and I invited her to come on, you know, to at least stop in and say hello, wish you happy holidays. So you can say happy holidays to her. So maybe she'll respond. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I will. I will. Indeed. Right on. Well, uh, we asked you for your favorite inspirational quote. And you had one from from John Coltrane. I mean, John Coltrane. I've got Coltrane. Look, Coltrane in the middle. I was like, we got it. So Can you read that and tell us why that's important to you? Yes, of course. Um, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And this was said by James Baldwin. Um, and the reason why it is my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes, is basically everything that we've been saying um, in order to make a difference, we kind of have to face what's going on today. I think a lot of people, especially in this day and age, can kind of live in ignorant bliss. A lot of people can. I mean, if you're black, if you're like of color, if you you know, it's hard not to, to, to face that. But, but many people um, kind of want to turn a blind eye. And I think it's really important to um, face ourselves with what's going on and uh, in order to make a difference and by do, like by telling stories by reading things by watching things by helping our communities by teaching um uh the young people uh i think it's really important to make a difference so that's why it's near and dear to my heart well uh, ayana first of all i'm gonna thank you for being here today we we, we we're gonna move on because we're gonna get our next two uh, interviewees on the stage, but I want to thank you for being here tonight. And we're going to keep you on set because when we interview our third guest, we have a question for you. So you, you're going to uh, you're going to be on 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 camera. So if I can, I'm going to move on and introduce our next guest, who's who's backstage, who is Grantham Coleman. He is a classically trained actor who continues to make a name for himself in film, television, and on stage. Grantham studied his craft at the world-famous Juilliard School of Drama, where he laid the foundation to create and capture all manner of characters in his career thus far. Coleman was recently announced as the lead in the new MGM Plus series, The Emperor of Ocean Park. Prior, he wrapped production on Taylor Sheridan's Bass Reeves for Paramount Plus opposite David Ayelowo. I got it right. Coleman also, uh, Coleman also played Martin Luther King um, uh, in The Great Society with Brian Cox on Broadway. But in the movie Rustin, he played the super tough Blyden Jackson, Bayard's key assistant. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our He Says Says, Mr. Grantham Coleman. Yes. Ooh. Hey, Grantham. <laughs> oh, man. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? That's good. Doing doing wonderful great to have you here um man um you know i'm i it is my turn to kick off our questioning with you i'm gonna tell you 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 scared me in in in, in rustin you gave me a performance where i looked at i said this man has some layers to his character so first i want to congratulate you yeah. on the movie rustin and your portrayal of uh Blyden jackson but tell us about being selected to work on the movie Rustin and then developing the role of Blyden Jackson. What was that like? Oh man, it was a uh, mid pandemic, you know, wondering if you could still do what you did before the pandemic and uh, audition comes along for a chance to work with George Wolf. So of course I was like, well, let me get my chops ready. Let me get, let me research, research, research. And I honestly, when, <laughs> when I got the part, I called all my friends. I was like, cancel your weddings, cancel this. I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I'm no, no, I'm going to Pittsburgh. <laughs> but in those, in those early rehearsal days, George asked us a question. We, we actually got to a chance to rehearse uh, for three weeks, which is a golden uh, opportunity that we had. And he was like, who here knows if their character is real or not? 
Oh my God. And oh my I looked God. around and I was looking around like, yeah, I know your character's real. Yeah, we all know your character's real. <laughs> I'm sitting there, my arms are folded and George is like, and you? And I was like, oh, he's real? <laughs> <laughs> because I looked him up, like, you know, he, the actors do. And then uh, for the next week, I was I bothering Ayana, like, oh, what, what, you got more information? You got that research? <laughs> you shared more Literally. info. Like, oh, you read that book? Okay, what else did they say? <laughs> um, uh, so it, it was definitely a process, but there were so many great people to work with and so many people that did know the history that like, I, cause I focused all my mind on Martin Luther King. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I know him. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, it well, was, it was a, a, definitely a, a fast learning process, but we had the right cooks in the kitchen. Well, mm -hmm. my brother, I'm going to tell you the performance you brought to the character was just amazing. I, I, I got to say it, like I said, it was layered and you took me from one emotion to, to another. So again, congratulations. Um, job well done. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was great to watch you have an arc, right? From uh, the party where Bayard was wearing a shirt very similar to this one. Oh Lord, Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. Oh Lord. You gotta let your clothes speak for you. Oh Lord. Your guys are hilarious. So <laughs> I, I do want to know, what did you know about Bayard and the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom before working on the film? Uh, I did know quite a bit. Uh, a couple years ago, I did this show called Great Society, which he referenced in that uh, beautiful biography. I mean, I never had a better bio. Could you do that when I go anywhere? It's just like, let <laughs> people know. For you. you can have it on your phone. Thank you. Let people know. Um, <laughs> where I got the chance to play Martin Luther King. So I, I went deep into the research. I read a lot of his books. And then like, you know, when you get to the march, at this point, like uh, the, the nation was kind of split on whether we had liked Martin Luther King Jr. or whether he was a criminal, whether the FBI was right or whether like uh, the culture knew that he was actually doing stuff for us. But you had another split between him and Malcolm X. So learning all the different facets and sides about where did we stand as a people and who was our heroes, who were we following at the time, you start meeting all the other greats, like, oh, okay, Stokely Carmichael. Oh, okay, Byron Rustin. Oh, okay, who are all these people that we reference in the book? But, you know, there's not a Wikipedia page to click on them at the moment. So I learned a lot about uh, all the people that were kind of behind the march and the reason why, you know, we say the March on Washington, but, like, it is the March on Washington for jobs and freedom, which mm -hmm. is also kind of glossed over because, as we know, King and Rustin did a lot for social welfare as well mm -hmm. as uh, not mm -hmm. just our community. Okay, thank the you. role you play is kind of like the lieutenant general, the sergeant, uh, sergeant of arms, if you will, with, with fire. Tell us, so given that role and given some of the research you had to do so on some of the other characters, what was the great takeaway about Bayard for you? Uh, that to really be nonviolent, when things are hurled at you is is not only a remarkable level of courage, uh, but it's it's completely difficult. And I don't know if I could do it myself. Mm -hmm. So what I learned about Blyden was, oh, here's a man that was in the middle who, when it was time to be with the nonviolent people, you know, that's what we're practicing. That's what we're doing. But he would be the first to step out of it and say like, oh, but I'm not nonviolent. <laughs> so yeah. to, to learn about Rustin and learn that King got that from him. Like, mm. like I, I know we've all seen the film and the scene where yeah. he's like, there were guns under the bed. He was, he was prepared for a different type of fight before mm. Bayard introduced nonviolence that he learned in India mm -hmm. and from Gandhi and other places. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, it, it, it kind of opened me up to myself and gone like, well, who would you be? Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. where, where does that lie within you? I don't know if I have that level of strength. You know? mm -hmm. Well, you portrayed it, so. <laughs> Kudos. Oh, oh no, I could be Biden. I, <laughs> I believe you. Julian. Really really there you go. You can. I mean, you kind of touched on this, but why is it important for people to learn about the importance of Byron and what he did and what he contributed to the civil rights movement? Uh, I mean, I think Ayana's answer was perfect. I would just, I could just say what she said. But, <laughs> uh, but when he said, he said, he said, I'm going to say. Uh, nice. you, better, you better plug us. Come on now. Come oh, on. If you had a fourth, he said, I might have to be back next week. Okay. Come on. Look, 
look, I, I would pull a chair over here right now, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but you go ahead and keep talking. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's important to know that uh, these ideas, you know, weren't just made up one day that, you know, we need to fight for justice and that we need to fight for everyone, that, even though they don't just look like us. And there needs to be ways and practices that we can champion justice for people that are overpowering in ways that violence and name calling all these other things aren't. And so to know that there is like, not only a history of like, oh, okay, Dr. King's connection to Gandhi was literally one person away from by arresting. And all that, that history of actually trying to champion and fight for people has always been, you know, uh, hand in hand. It's not something that you could just make up one day, but you can go and learn how did they do this then? You know, we might, we might need to do some boycotts today. Uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, in the film, your character has a really big arc that we get to see. There's two characters, well, there's three characters that really have that arc that we get to see, where you're at the party and you meet Bayard and you are not necessarily the most pleasant person, but then all of a sudden you are so in the movement. We don't see that transition. Yes. What was that transition like for you? Like, how did you get that? Like, in your mind, what was it that made this character go from here to there? Uh, I think it was Bayard, knowing who he had on deck. Like, I, I think in the movie, Blyden is used as the confrontational warrior, the, the person that's not afraid to say something, and it might be the worst time, and that's the best time to say it. So Bayard, knowing who does he have on deck, who can he call, he's like, oh, I need to make sure these cops are ready for the things that could happen to them in D.C. I know the perfect person that could say some stuff to rile people up. Right. Because, as, like, I don't know, I mean... We've all seen the movie. I don't want to ruin it if you've never seen it, but you should have seen it by now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if that's true. Scene. true. No, it's true. That's why yeah. I'm here. When this show is over, you need to be turning it on. It's okay, turning it, it on. Yes. And if you don't have it, I know your cousin got Netflix. Your baby name. Do whatever you got to exactly. do. Exactly. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> but so, but from I'm, that first I'm, confrontation, sorry, he he, I think. Uh, Bayard definitely goes, okay, I'm not offended. I'm going to use you. Yeah. I'm going to use you for the movement. Mm -hmm. Right on. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we also have an inspirational quote from you um, from Martin Luther King Jr. himself. Will you read this and tell us why this is important to you? The time is always right to do what is right. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, that quote, it actually makes it in the movie. Um, and to me, it's just extremely prescient because it doesn't allow myself to pass the buck. It doesn't allow me to look away at one moment and go like, well, I mean, somebody else can fix that. That's somebody else's problem. Like, oh, you know, they'll figure that out eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, it reminds me that if, if I don't, who will? And if you don't, who will? Because uh, if you let this time go, you might not have another to, to do what is right. Wow. Wow. As I said before we came on, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have seen the movie so many times. I, so I'm telling you all to go and see the movie. Borrow someone's Netflix account if you don't have it, but exactly. go ahead and, and see the movie. And I said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to quote some of the lines from the movie like I have done for the, from The Color Purple over the last 40 years, because the movie is that good. Yeah. And, 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 and that, that was a moment. Mm -hmm. Grantham, we mentioned earlier that you are indeed a trained uh, uh, thespian of the Juilliard School of, of Drama, and uh, we want to, again, applaud that. Um, there have been a lot of talk about, you know, uh, AG and, and, and you know, the, the whole thing with artificial intelligence, you know, creating uh, and, and robbing, I think, actors and, and actresses and so forth of their talents and gifts and so forth. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of the training that you've taken on and how it prepared you for the accomplishments of the day? Uh, yeah, I think um, school is one of those things that you can always get what you put into it out. And my mom's an educator, so there was no way that I was just going to LA and trying to be an actor. She was like, no, you're going to school. So I was like, can I compromise? Like, hey, Julia. Like, uh, and, and what a compromise that was. As an educator, I am, right. I'm with your mom, so yeah. Yeah, so um, what I learned in school was always that there, if you're lost, there's a map, and the map is technique. So you can learn skills to help you do the job, but you can't ever forget that there's a reason you're there in the first place. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so 
I just, the biggest takeaway I have is that, oh, okay, well, I can always find a solution. I can always look for an answer. And that's what I got from school. I think mm -hmm. Juilliard is as much like a lot of universities. It's an institution and people can go and you can kind of lose yourself in an institution. Yeah. Whereas I think what's helped a lot of us who have gone through conservatory training, you know, you're there for 12 hours a day, you're rolling around with a mask on and then you're yeah. pretending to be a panda <laughs> and then you're, you're doing Shakespeare. And then they're like, okay, we'll go out there and be somebody. Um, <laughs> Technique. <so. laughs> there it is. Yeah, you take you take what it is you can use. And it's yes. just like fired in the movie. You know, find the tools that work for you. And if this tool doesn't work anymore, you find another and you keep going. So that's what I got for school. Thank you. Well, well Grantham, I, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to get in your personal business a little bit because that's oh, what our viewers, <laughs> our viewers want to know. Um, I have read that, first of all, that you love to play the guitar and you have another skill. <laughs> and this is somebody who's scared of heights. You like to walk on stilts. Okay. So can, can, can you talk to us about. Ayana's like, what? Wait. Let's talk about this skill, the stilts, walking on the stilts. How did that come about? Uh, oh, see? You already segued it. It was Juilliard. Uh, Damn. They were Technique. like, oh. <laughs> it is. They're like, we're going to do this play. It's called The World in the Moon. It used to be an opera, but now it's not. Uh, yeah, you're going to be this guy, and you're going to be on stilts. And I was like, excuse me, I, I, I don't know stilts. Uh, and they were like, no, we're going to do lessons. you got to learn. And it's fun. I mean, I think it looks a lot harder than it is, but really it's just basically doing like the cha-cha or saucing. Like you just kind of have to keep your lower half moving and keeping steps. That's why we I just want you all to look at Vosh. You were doing that, sitting in Philadelphia, cha-cha. Look, <laughs> always bringing a new skill in. Always. <laughs> and, and all I'm thinking is Alvin would look like roadkill. Okay, so I, that, I couldn't imagine. But when, when, I, when I read that about you, I had to see how did that come about because you know you don't read about too many black men on stilts unless well nope. unless you're in I, I have gone nope. to Jamaica or gone to Carnival and I've seen it you know but in the United States I don't see it quite often. Gotta say so, no. Well, there's a reason so, you don't see them stop moving. That's why they keep on moving where they're going. <laughs> they don't stop because once you stop, you gotta keep it internal. You got a body rock, so they, it's easier to keep dancing to stay up. Do well, you still do it? And is there a video of it? Can you share? Will you send us videos so we can share with our audience? Uh, I mean, they, they have a video. I, I don't even have a video. Don't If I fall off some stilts, a lot of people don't be angry right now. I can't. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. okay how, about, how about that? Well, you got well, Grantham, that now. <laughs> Grantham, again, I know you're going to stick around, but I, got, I have one more question. What's next for you? What what's what's next that, that we can look forward to uh, Grantham Coleman doing? Uh, right now, I still have a series called Raising Canaan, uh, Power mm -hmm. Book Three that's airing. Mm -hmm. Episode four starts uh, tonight, mm -hmm. and uh, next up, I'm working on this show called Emperor of Ocean Park, based on the book by Stephen Carter, Stephen Carter. Uh, for MGM Plus. And I I play Talcott Garland, who is the quote unquote lead, and uh, it's it's it should be a wild ride. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you all heard it. And now again, Grantham, I want you and Ayana to stay here because I'm going to introduce our next guest, ladies and gentlemen. And we've had him here before and he has taken the time to come back again. Ladies and gentlemen, our, our next guest is um, Walter, Walter Nagel. And Walter Nagel is Bayard Rustin's husband. And he was his husband for over a decade. He's the executor of Rustin Estate. He directs all small private foundation and works uh, with groups seeking to lift up Rustin's name and accomplishments. He is one of the first LGBTQ partners to accept a presidential medal of freedom on their partner's behalf. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the He Said, He Said, He Said stage, Mr. Walter Nagel, please. Yeah. Hey, Walter. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming back. And Walter, the reason why the three of you are here is because we decided that we wanted to ask you all a question. The, the, just one question and have all three of you share your, your answers to this question. But before we do that, we wanna play one last clip from the movie Rustin. 
On the day of your march, the entire D.C. police force has been mobilized. Along with 500 reserves, 2,500 National Guard, 4,000 Army soldiers, and per orders of the Pentagon, 19,000 troops. Well, I hope you'll have something for them to do, because they will not be needed here. And whoever has direct dealings with Mr. Hoover, let him know that on August 28th, black, white, young, old, rich, working class, poor, will descend on Washington, D.C. And there's nothing he can do to stop it. Woo. Now, see, I'm not mad at that. I, I actually wanted to be on the screen when he was doing that. I really wanted to be on set. I think I would have just cried. Instead, I, I, but I'm a professional, so please hear what I said. I, I am a, a professional. But ladies and gentlemen, and um, to uh, Ayana, Grantham, and Walter, this is the question that we want you to answer. And we'll start with Ayana, Ayana first. What is a powerful part of the film that you wish most will take away after seeing the movie? There's so many, um, there's so many powerful parts in the film. Um, but what I think I would want people to take away um, is uh, the tenacity of um, every single person that was involved in this march um, and in creating this, this moment in history. There were so many things that kind of came up in Bayard's way um, there was moments where people tried to use his sexuality against him. Uh, there are moments where people didn't believe in him. People on in the NWACP didn't believe in him, but uh, he knew what he was doing. And he had people like Martin Luther King, uh, like Philip A. Randolph, and like the um, angelic trouble troublemakers. They all believed in something greater than them and they had no choice. So I think what I want people to to take away is if you believe in something and if you and if you um, fight hard enough, you can get it done. Um, and I think the tenacity, the spirit, and the community that that everyone created in that moment um, was vital. And that's what I want people to take away. Thank you, and Grantham. Yeah, I, I would say to piggyback on that, the the end of the film. Uh, when everyone's celebrating and they get an invitation to the White House and you see Bayard fulfill uh, almost a promise he made, which is that if we got this done, I'm going to pick up trash mm -hmm. to serve and being of service and what it actually means to be of service, which isn't necessarily you're going to get the applause and the accolades, but having done the work to continue doing the work to help other people. So mm -hmm. I think the, the message of service was one that I would hope we could all take away from it. Mm. and uh, what it truly means to help. Thank you. And the Honorable Walter Nagel. How about Thank that? you. <laughs> well, actually, Grantham um, talked about something that I was going to say, and it had to do with the end of the film. Dr. King once, uh, one of Dr. King's quote is, all labor has dignity. Mm. And so that's what Bard was really about. So it didn't matter whether you were a trash collector or the leader of a movement. You know, as long as you were working and you were of service, you had dignity. So I would say really uh, for people to come away inspired to not just get involved in a cause, but to stay with it. Because despite the many hits that Bard took, and he took a lot, and some of them show up in the film, he never walked away. He always mm -hmm. came back and found a way to be of service and to be useful. So. I hope that people will be inspired by his courage and his authenticity. Thank you, thank thank you all, thank you all. But I do have one thing that, again, this is a live show. I have to extend an opportunity for Ayana to let us know what is next for Ayana Workman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am actually currently um, producing something for the first time. So I'm um, producing a film um, on my father. Uh, a documentary. So right now we're in pre-production and um, I've been having the time and the opportunity to work on that and we're getting funding and it's moving along quite a bit. So that's something that's happening right now. It's super, super duper exciting. Um, so that's what currently I'm putting all my energy towards. 
How beautiful. Well, yeah. well yeah. We, we look forward to bringing you back on He Said, He Said, He Said to talk about your new project when it all comes to fruition. <laughs> yes. But yes. ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ayana and Grantham, please, we're, we're going to take you backstage. We'd love for you to come back and say goodbye if your time permits. Um, but thank you all for your wonderful interviews tonight. Yeah. Congratulations on, on Rustin and everything else you're doing. It's been a joy having you guys. Yeah, keep up the good work. I can tell that you are so inspired <laughs> for activism work now that you've been a part of this film in a way that is so much deeper than I think you might have ever imagined. And I pass the torch and just can't wait to see what you guys do. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank for you guys. Me. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Walter, we have you all to ourselves. <laughs> Once again. again. <laughs> we have you all to ourselves, Walter. Yes, thank you. Thank you. So, Mr. Nagel, thank you so much. I always call you Mr. Nagel. Everyone calls you Walter. I will, I will call you. My, my mom would just slap me if I called you anything else but Mr. Nagel. Mr. Nagel, thank you for returning <laughs> to the show. You have dedicated so much of your life to promoting and expanding the legacy of Bayard Rustin. Now that the film Rustin is out and getting such amazing attention and accolades, how do you feel? Well, I'm very excited about it. I think um, it really lifts Bayard's profile, Bayard's name to a whole new level mm -hmm. of recognition. Um, you know, there've been good things done in the past, some wonderful biographies, the uh, documentary Brother Outsider, but, you know, the audience for all of those projects was, was somewhat limited. But when you have something done on a major media network like Netflix, you know, when it dropped on November 17th, it was immediately streaming into something like 174 countries. So it really lift Bayard's uh, profile worldwide and hopefully encourage people to learn more about him and start making some angelic trouble. Amen. Mm. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. In the movie, it mentions um, the the powerful influence of Bayard Bayard's uh, grandmother's Quaker faith, um, rooted in peace and community and equality, and how it impacted uh, his decision to indeed become an activist. Were there other aspects of his childhood that he shared with you um, that, that that contributed, I guess, to the man that we now know? Oh yeah, there were a couple of things certainly. Um, you know, the things that you, your parents and your grandparents teach you, you know, you, you hear them, but until you start act, acting them out, they're not really, they don't really stay with you necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and given the community that Bard was raised in, it was a, an integrated community, but there was a, a black side of town and a white side of town. Mm -hmm. But Bard's high school was, was integrated. Mm. So he became very comfortable being around people that were not exactly the same as him and he had a lot of white friends uh part of the reason was because he was a very talented athlete and so they were all teammates together mm -hmm. so they wanted to do things together after school and um his first arrest really was he wanted to sit with his friends in the theater the movie theater in westchester and uh he was told to go upstairs and sit in the balcony and he refused to do it mm. so he took those teachings from his grandmother about being yourself and standing yeah. up for justice and started putting him into action at a very early age. Well, I, again, as an educator, you know, I want you to know that uh, I think I mentioned the last time you were on the show, I traveled to Westchester uh, for the holidays. I have a very dear friend who lives in Westchester and was driving around. And when I saw this school that was named in his honor, I literally stopped and I took a picture of it because it, I was so deeply moved to see that uh, that school, this beautiful brand new facility uh, bore his name. So um, again, this was a, a very special moment. <laughs> Bobby, I'm gonna dovetail on that before you go in. I, I think that people now that this film is out are gonna find that yeah. Bayard is really way <laughs> more widespread in our community. Yeah. My cousins yeah. live not that far from me in yeah. sort of, you know, what is not quite Mount Airy, but close to it. The street right next to them is called Bayard. They had no idea why it was called Bayard, Amazing. but there it is. So <laughs> yeah. I, I hope people really see that Bayard has uh, a place and is, you know, all around us and can Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. 
Well, it's his. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I, I want him to be a household name. Yes. So that that's that's part of why we're doing this show, ladies and gentlemen. You need to know who Bayard Rustin is, mm-hmm. and and you need to tell someone. You need to tell someone and keep and keep all of that going. Uh, mm-hmm. Walter, the film did a great job of showing that uh, Bayard was very comfortable being a black gay man. And that and that didn't set well, of course, with um, the other black civil rights leaders. How did those relationships evolve or change for Bayard after the march on Washington? And did he maintain any of those relationships during your time with him? Well, yeah, I think the, the march was a game changer, you know, not only for the movement, but for Bayard personally. Because it was really the last time that people were able to use his sexuality to try and push him, to marginalize him, to push him to the side. And because A. Philip Randolph had the leadership and the courage to stand with Bayard, he was able to gather the other leaders of the march around him and and stand with him. So it it just kind of knocked that whole <coughs> that whole business of using Bayard's sexuality against them kind of off the table. So after that, and when he founded the A. Philip Randolph Institute, uh, he became more of a, I guess you could say, more of a mainstream civil rights leader, if you will. And he maintained very good relationships uh, with, of course, Whitney Young for the National Urban League and Roy Wilkins and the NAACP, Dr. King, of course, until his death, uh, Mr. Randolph, um, and certainly John Lewis of SNCC. Uh, So... He, you know, he became a figure that was more mainstream, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. and was well, on good terms with, with pretty much everybody. One of our viewers specifically, who obviously has seen the movie, said he'd love mm-hmm. to know if Adam Clayton Powell's, if if his, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, his demeanor. If, okay. if, 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 he, if he changed, mm-hmm. um, uh, if he changed in, in the way he felt about Bayer. That's an interesting question. I, I don't, I can't say that I know, mm-hmm. but I will say that I think Byard understood Adam, and I don't, I don't think he believed that Adam had any personal animosity towards him. Mm-hmm. Certainly not because of his uh, being gay. Adam was mm-hmm. quite a, um, a womanizer, I guess you could say himself. <laughs> so it wasn't that he was uh, trying to hold Byard to a higher standard. Right. And I think it was about politics. I think he he yeah. felt threatened his his power, as they say in the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, he was being threatened by these younger people coming up, and so <coughs> um, he was a little uncomfortable. And he he needed to he needed to make an adjustment. He ended up wanting to speak at the march, but there mm-hmm. was a policy that none of the politicians would be able to speak. This mm-hmm. was about people coming and address and telling their political leaders their demands and what they wanted. Mm. And later on, when, when Adam was censured by the Congress in, I think it was 1967 or 1968, for some of his own shenanigans, mm. Bart stood up for him. Mm. Bart didn't hold any grudges, didn't hold any animosity towards mm. him. Wow. Because he felt, uh, he certainly felt that part of the issue, part of the reason Adam was being censored was because of racism. Right. And mm-hmm. so he mm-hmm. felt that Congress was exhibiting a double standard, that there were other congressional people who had done similar things and they were not being uh, reprimanded. So he stood up for that. Very Bayard thing to do. You know, he was yeah. for justice. Yeah, first and yeah. foremost. Whether it was for him or for somebody else. Right. And as he said, whether you either you believe in freedom for all or not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, one of the things that I just love about the film is what feels like some shedding of light into the complexities of the relationships that Bayard had with various people and obviously that of Martin Luther King um, and that whole and and Coretta as well you know I had no idea of his connection to her in addition uh, and and the relationship she shared with her as well but one of the things that I loved was this notion of Ella Baker pretty much saying to them, like, you know, that by you have this skill that 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 Martin doesn't have, and Martin's gonna bring people because he's Martin. And you both have these individual gifts, but collectively, 
working together, you will be able to do extraordinary and, and great a, things. A force. A force, a, a tour de force, actually. Of course, yes. Um, so can you share with us um, get just your take on the complexity of that extraordinary relationship between Bayard and, and Martin Luther King Jr.? Mm -hmm. Well, I, first I'll say that, that, that I found that to be one of the most moving scenes in the film. Audra McDonald did a great job yes. as Ella Baker. Yes. Um, it was a complex relationship. And part of it had to do with the age difference. Uh, Byard, of course, had much more experience than Dr. King, and Dr. King had a theoretical knowledge of what non nonviolence was, but he hadn't had the practical experience that Byard mm -hmm. had developed in the 40s and uh, in the early 50s. And so, the two of them coming together um, was did you know did create a dynamic force. Um, mm -hmm. Byard didn't have Byard was a great speaker. He was a great writer, but he was not a preacher. He was not an orator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, at that time, the movement was largely based in the South and in the churches of the South. Yeah. And so the response that you would get uh, to a Dr. King speaking was quite different than you would get from Byard. Yes. So, you know, Byard could work with Dr. King and help him write some of the speeches. And Dr. King would deliver, deliver them in a way that would just um, mesmerize the audience and yes. bring them to their feet. Mm -hmm. So it was a, you know, it was a sort of a complicated uh, sim sort of symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. They were better together uh, than they were each of them on their own. Yeah, yeah. I like, I, the I, I love that. that. Yeah, yep. I, I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. I have a, so with what's going on politically, what do you think Bayard would think about the current issues and the upcoming 2024 <laughs> election? Oh, it's wow. a big leap, but I just got to know. I got to know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to take a sip, Walter. You go. Right. <laughs> I was right. going to say, Lord, we need them now. Okay. Yes, we do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I will all take a sip. Let's take a sip. Yeah, I think he, I mean, of course, he would tell people, you know, get out there and vote, get out there and organize, and get out there and challenge all of these forces that are trying to marginalize people's votes and keep mm -hmm. people from voting and mm -hmm. redistrict so that you don't have, um, you know, majority black districts and things like that. You know, you have to really stand up for the democracy. Otherwise, you know, I think it's something we've taken taken for granted for so mm -hmm. long mm -hmm. that we didn't realize it can be taken away. Mm -hmm. So he would be out there organizing, telling people to get involved. And um, I think as far as issues, issues are concerned, <clears throat> certainly voting rights of course but the larger issue of poverty which poverty mm -hmm. and jobs which was you know supposed to be addressed at the march on washington and it was it was the job jobs and freedom but because of the passage of the civil rights act and the voting rights act the freedom part got a lot of attention the jobs part kind of slid to the side and here we are 60 years later with you know you know a still a great gap uh, income inequality in this country mm -hmm. and it's something that mm -hmm. we need to try and and uh, solve and, and up you know uplift everybody and get mm -hmm. people proper good education good health care good housing so he would be very concerned about the issue of poverty we we, we definitely need him now i'm going to take a, a moment to let our viewers know this come we're, we're going to run over about six minutes ladies and gentlemen because we want to make sure that we get the full walter effect this time okay and so uh i i know this this conversation is engaging and so i i cannot believe that i looked at the at the clock but i just want to let everybody know you know get, get another sip because Vosh is going to ask another question that's going to make you take a gulp but um we're going to we're going to continue our conversation. All right. So thank you. I just wanted to say that. I'm sorry, Vosh. I didn't mean to. Do that. No, no, no. I mean, I, I appreciate that because I just want to continue on with with the answer that you just gave. What do you think his ideas would be on creating democratic change? Mm. Well, I think it starts. You know, it starts with organizing, and I think mm. uh, organizing starts at the local level. Yeah. So well, a lot of the um, a lot of the movements that have taken off in the last 10 years or so uh, have, you know, have begun because of local incidents, especially issues of, uh, you know, police misconduct, police brutality, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, 
you know, it's fine to, jo to join a national movement, but you should also, you know, look around your community and see what, what needs to be done in your immediate area and how you can be of service there. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that uh, Taylor Swift was just uh, announced as Time's Person of the Year, and people are having a difficult time putting their hands around that or their heads around that. But that's what she did. Taylor Swift has shown that if she says something about the politics in the country, her Swifties are quick Mm -hmm. to rally around that and push yep. change. And she has yep. shifted some elections locally around the country. She so has. what you just said That's... is why yep. she was voted person of the year person because of, the year. of that political engagement that she can rally. Well, That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Walter, they, I just wanted to ask, there have been a number of publications in the past that have uh, uh, been written to try to educate and inform people about Bayard's life and history. Are there any recent publications that uh, that we might be on the lookout for? Yes, actually there is um, a fairly recent book called Bayard Rustin, A Legacy of Protest and Politics, which consists of a series of essays by different uh, people, uh, scholars, uh, academics. Uh, I have a chapter on Bayard's grandmother and her influence on him. Uh, that's edited by Michael Long. And that's uh, came out in September. Came out just just after the March anniversary. And you said a legacy of Bayard Rustin, mm -hmm. a legacy of protest and politics. Okay, thank you. Published by New York University Press. We're going to put it up uh, under you once once we get it up. Please, Bobby, type Great. that in there. Thank you. Thank you. A legacy of protests and part politics. Yeah, I can politics. hold yeah. up a copy Got if it. you want me to. But Got it. I'd have to okay. get up. I'd have to get out of my chair. Thank oh no, you you stay. Yeah, we're going to make sure that. No, we're gonna we're gonna do that. And Michael, gonna Michael Long also did a book um, called "More Than a Dream: The Radical March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom," which came out right at, at the end of the 60th anniversary of the march. That is a book mainly for middle to high school students, but oh, oh. An, an adult could read it and okay. not be talked down to or not be bored. Got and it. it's very informational because there's a lot of information in there about the organizing of the march, which doesn't necessarily show up in some of the other accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of pictures, a lot of a lot of good information. Got so, it. Uh, yeah. So there are a couple. There, there are several new books out about Bayard. Thank you. Well, Walter, before we let you go, we've heard this phrase a few times. Uh, uh, I have to admit, uh, Yana said it, and it just sounds so beautiful coming from from her mouth. But Bayard once called for angelic troublemakers to change the society. And I just wanna ask you in your, through your lens, do you have a sense of what he meant by that phrase? And would it still be what he uh, might call for today? Yeah, yeah, he, I mean, he meant, what he meant that, that people you know, need to get out there and stir up what John Lewis would call good trouble. Amen. And you mm -hmm. do that through the use of nonviolence. Mm -hmm. uh, because as soon as you, uh, as soon as you use violence, you give the your opposition and the police an excuse to come after you. And that mm -hmm. totally distracts from the message that you're trying to give. Whereas mm -hmm. if you go out there and you manage to remain nonviolent, hold up your signs, chant your slogans or whatever, uh, you know, people will listen to you. Mm -hmm. But if you start, you know, throwing bricks and uh, doing battle with the cops, it, becomes, it then just becomes a power struggle. Mm -hmm. So yeah. by angelic, he meant, you know, do what you need to do, but try and do it with as much love and uh, encourage in your heart as you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Walter, this has wrapped up our interview with you that we have been looking so forward to for, I mean, a long time. A minute. And, and I, I honestly, if I was like in the next room, I would run over there and, and, and wrap my arms around you just to say thank you. Uh, but before, can we, um, if Ayana... I think uh, Grantham, he had, to run. had to run. Yeah. But if, if Ayana's backstage, can we bring her back to the screen? Hey, there she is. Hi, hey. I'm okay. hey, so hi. I, I, I want to take this time uh, before we close the show to say thank you to all of you again. Yeah. For, I mean, you're like that extra light on my Christmas tree. See that Christmas tree? That, 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 that. <laughs> Y'all like that, that extra light. Drop there. He's got it. He's ready. That, 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 that extra light. And um, I want to thank you all for being here and I uh, again thank you 
and I want to share with our viewers that we will be back next week. Um, and it's so ironic that our special guest next week is Zaylar Stout. He's the author of Our Gay History in 50 States, helping people learn about LGBTQ history that has been overlooked, hidden, and ignored. And he will be with us next week. And believe me, I know he will have something to say. And we will close the show tonight with a quote by Bayard Rustin. When an individual is protecting society's refusal to acknowledge his dignity as a human being, his very act of protest confers dignity on him. And that was a quote by, by Bayard Rustin that we just had to use for the show tonight. So again, thank you all so much. Ayan, I'm going to refer to you as Shirley Temple Black from now. I love it. <laughs> Happy holidays to everyone who tuned in tonight. And we look forward, my, my goodness, we, we, we look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of He Said. He said. <laughs> he said. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy everybody. holidays, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.